So we are in Bamidbar, we are in Parshas Chukas, we are in Perak Chaf, and we are holding a Pasuk Chaf Bez. And just yesterday, Moshe had asked Edom if they can pass through Edom to go into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, at this point, the Jews are to the south of Israel. Edom is the southern boundary of Eretz Yisrael, below Eretz Yisrael in the south. And Moshe had tried to convince, persuade the people of Edom, descendants of Esau, to allow the Jews to pass through, to enter Eretz Yisrael through the south, and Edom refused in a very violent way. So today's Chita. So the Jews now are traveling from Kadesh, and it says the entire community of the Jews come to Har Hahar. Rashi says, why do we say the entire community? Because all of them were ready to enter Eretz Yisrael because anyone who was in the decree from the sin of the spies, the men that were going to die at age 60, all had passed away. Everyone who was left was to enter Eretz Yisrael. They came to Har Hahar. Har Hahar means mountain of the mountain. Har is a mountain. Rashi said, like a small apple on top of a large apple. There were the clouds that preceded the Jews flat in the mountains, because it was very hard to travel on mountains, but left three mountains. Har Sinai, for the Tyra, Har Hahar, for the burial of Aharon, and Har Nevo, for the burial of Misha. So Hashem says to Moshe and Aharon, by, and the Pasuk says, Hashem is saying to Moshe and Aharon and Har Har, by the border of the land of Edom. So the question is like, why is that added? Like, we're about to talk about Aaron passing away. What does it have to do with the fact that they're at the border of Edom? So Rashi says, because they joined in associating with the evil Esau, meaning Edom is a descendant of Esau, and they had tried to have this connection to Edom and pass through their land. So that already caused this problem that they lost this tzaddik. Hashem says to them that Aaron should be gathered into his people. That's the term we use for tzaddikim by their passing. He can't go into Yisrael because of what happened by May Mariva earlier in the Parsha when Moshe and Aaron were supposed to talk to the rock and it would give forth water. And then the rock, the designated rock, was hidden among the other rocks. Seemed when I was doing mechitas, I thought this is such a setup. So they talked to the wrong rock, and nothing happened. And then they said, well, maybe we're really supposed to hit it, because that's what we did 40 years earlier to get water originally, because the water stopped after the passing of Miriam, that the air, the well of water was in her merit. And then when they started hitting, they hit the right rock. When they first hit it, it just gave out drops of water because they weren't supposed to hit it. They were supposed to talk to it. They hit it a second time, and this tremendous amount of water gushed out. And this was their offense because Hashem has made everything perfect. And since Moshe and Aaron were not supposed to go into Eretz Yisrael for many other reasons, we also had to find some blemish here that we're, so to speak, allowed to forbid them to go into Eretz Yisrael. So take Aharon and Elazar. Aharon, Elazar, Moshe, the three of them go to Har Har. What does it mean, take Aharon? So take him with words. We've had this concept many times in Rashi. Take him with words. The words are words of comfort. You're so lucky. 
you're seeing your crown handed over to your son. In other words, Aharon is going to see that his son Elazar is going to be the Kohen Gadol in his stead, the high priest, which Moshe says, I'm not meriting to, meaning the successor to Moshe is Yehoshua, not his own son. So Moshe, Aharon, and Elazar go up to the mountain, Harahar, to this cave. Aharon's going up in the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest, and Moshe removes the garments from Aharon and dresses Elazar in these garments. So Aharon merited to see his son in the garments of the Kohen Gadol, enters the cave, there's a bed there with a candle burning, go on the bed, extends his hand, closes his mouth, each one of these things Moshe is telling him what he's doing, Moshe says, extend your hands, he extends his hands, Moshe says, close your mouth, he closes his mouth, Moshe says, shut your eyes, he shuts his eyes, and he passes away. This is going to passing away with the kiss of God. And says that Moshe said he wanted such a death too. Wow, such a death, a death of just purity and connection to God. It's such a peaceful, godly movement of the soul from the body to God. And that's why later, when God speaks of Moshe's death, he says to him, you'll pass away like your brother passed away, because I know that's what you want. And Moshe did just as God said and go up to Harahar in the presence of the entire community. Well, why say Moshe did it? Moshe does everything like Hashem says. But Rashi is saying this is difficult here. He's going to his brother's death, but this is what Hashem said. This is what he did. And everything happened exactly as Hashem said. And then Moshe and Eloza come down from the mountain. Now, where's Ira? Well, he stayed behind. So, Pasuk Chavtes says, Bayiru kol aharon. Which is a very long Rashi saying, how in the world do we translate this? I'm just going to give you the bottom line of the two ways Rashi suggests. Ki generally means because. To translate it as because, we have to take Vayiru, which simply means they saw, and remove it from its simple literal meaning. And rather, we would translate according to the Midrash, that Vayiru means they were exposed. Vayiru kol ha'eda. And the entire community was exposed, exposed because the clouds of glory, the Ananim are gone. Ki, why is the community exposed? Because Gava Aaron, Aaron passed away. So since Aaron passed away, the Ananim, the clouds that were protecting the Jews are gone, and therefore the Jews are exposed. Just like when Miriam passed away, the be'er, the well of water, was removed temporarily because it was in her merit. The more pshat-like, the more literal way of explaining this, Rashi says, keep vayiru as saw, but then ki doesn't make sense. And they saw because Aaron passed away, that doesn't make sense. So on the simple level, it means ki has four levels of meaning. The most common one is because, but one of the other legitimate translations is that. And the whole congregation saw that Aaron passed away because Moshe and Elijah came down and Aaron didn't. And actually, Rashi explains that they saw also on a literal level because when they said, well, where's Aaron? And Moshe said, Aaron passed away. They said, can't be. Aaron stood up to the angel of death. It was just a plague. And... Uh, after Kairach, 
and Aaron took the Keturus, it's just the angel of death. How could he ever pass? How could someone stand up to the angel of death pass away? So Moshe said, they're not going to believe him. We've got a problem here. The so Moshe dove into Hashem, and Hashem had the Jews see Aharon lying in the bed, passed away with all the angels around him. So literally the nation saw that he passed away, and the Pasuk emphasizes Kol Beis Yisrael, the entire house of the Jews saw this and mourned for Aaron for 30 days. Why the entire house of the Jews? Usually we would think of the men. Beis Yisrael, the men. Kol Beis Yisrael, the entire house of the Jews, means also the women because as is a famous concept that Aaron always pursued peace between people, including between man and wife. And therefore, the women mourned equally as the men. So now we have the Jews minus Aharon, and they continue traveling. Minus Aharon means minus the clouds temporarily, though they did come back because really, ultimately, though on a certain specific level, the water was in the merit of Miriam, the clouds, Aharon, and the man Moshe, but ultimately they all were in Moshe's merit. Therefore, ultimately they all came back. But at this moment, the clouds are gone. And the verse says, the Canaanim, the Canaanite king of Arad heard, who lived in the south, that the Jews came by the route of the spies and he attacked the Jews and took a captive. So Rashi says, what do you hear? Well, he heard that Aaron died and that the clouds were removed. Um... In other words, the significance of Aaron's death is like, why is that relevant? Is because now the Ananim, the clouds are gone, so they're defenseless, but we can attack them. But it's confusing because it says the Canaanim who lived in the south, as we just explained, south of Israel weren't the Canaanim. South of Israel was Edom, was Amalek. So who were these people that came and attacked them from the south? The Rashi explains they actually were Amalek, because Amalek lives in the southern part of the land, but they spoke like the Canaanim. Why? Because they felt that then the Jews will hear them speaking the, the language of the Canaanim and would dive into Hashem, save us from the Canaanim. But they're really not Canaanim, ha, ha, ha. They're really Amalekim, and therefore they would not be affected by the Jews' prayers and Hashem saving them from the Canaanim. Somehow, they weren't smart enough to realize that even though they were speaking the language of the Canaanim, they didn't change their dress. And they still dressed like the Amalekim. But the Jews see people dressed like Amalekim and speaking the language of the Canaanim, and they were like, hmm, something's fishy here. We don't know who this is. Are these Canaanim... Pretend to be Amalekim dressed like Amalekim? Are these Amalekim pretending to be Canaanim and talking like Canaanim? So the Jews said, let's be safe. And just say, Hashem, please save us from this people. So whoever they are will be saved. Now, why does the verse say he saw that the Jews came by the root of the spies? What does that mean? The Rashi gives us two explanations. One is the root of the spies means came upward from the south because some 38 years before, that is how the spies, the Miraglim, came into Eretz Yisrael upward from the south. Another way of understanding it is instead of translating Asarim, the root of the spies, but rather the root of the great pathfinder. 
the pathfinder being the Aaron. Because when the Jews traveled, it says that the Aaron traveled before the Jews to find the place for them to camp. So the pathfinder is the Aaron. So what does it mean they saw, again, let's go back to what we're talking about here. We're talking about these Amalekim. But the Amalekim saw, or heard, sorry, the Amalekim, both in the south, heard that the Jews came by the root of the pathfinder, by the root of the Aaron. What is that trying to say? Well, the implication is only the Aaron. In other words, normally there's the Aaron, there's the Ark, and there's the protective cloud. But when the Canaanim heard that the clouds are gone, and therefore the Jews are traveling the route of the Aron alone without the clouds. Oh, this was reason for war. And so they had this war, and they got one captive. Harash explains it wasn't even a Jew. It was someone that the Jews had captured. And why is Rashi so sure it wasn't even a Jew? Because we don't see any sin here that the Jews did that would that would make it commensurate, that would make sense for a Jew to be taken captive this way. So therefore, Rashi is saying, the Shevi here, the captive, is this one Shechem, this one not Jewish maidservant. But still, this was one non-Jewish captive that the Jews had taken captive, but was now working for the Jews, and therefore the Jews were giving that respect to, that you took her captive, we have to avenge this. And we're swearing here that we're going to go and fight this nation. And when we win, if we win, we will win, we will consecrate all of their cities, meaning we will destroy them, and all of the spoils we'll give to God. We're not doing this war for us to take spoils. We're doing this war to avenge what happened. And that is what happened. And Hashem delivered these Kananim, a.k.a. Amalekim, into the Jews' hands. The Jews destroyed them and consecrated all of their cities and therefore called the region Kharma, because Kharma means destruction that they destroyed all the people, as Rashi explains, by killing them, and they made all of their possessions cherem, meaning consecrated to Hashem. They did not take of the spoils. All the spoils were given over to to Hashem. Um, At this point, we have one final story, and I will just give it over in like a minute not going through Pesukim and Rashi's because we won't have time for that. I'm trying to stick to our 15 minutes. But at this point, the Jews suddenly are like, uh-oh. Aaron passed away. They lost the clouds. They just had this war. The Pesuk said they turned back by the way of the Yamsuf. And they were like, here they actually turned back actually seven journeys and they were, they were in a really bad space. And they were like, what's going on? What's going on? We're, we're never going to make this. 
We're never going to get to Israel. All we have is this horrific mun. You know, it's such a crazy food. We eat, and we never have to use the bathroom. That's, that's nuts. What's going to happen? Someday we're going to explode from all this food inside of us. And Hashem, hearing the ingratitude of the Jewish people for this most amazing food, the man, which we're told is, we'll have that Mashiach as dessert for the Suda, which we're told is the food of the angels, it's godliness. He sent the snakes to bite and kill the Jews, specifically the snakes, because they can only eat dust, against people who could have one food that takes like everything versus the snakes, for whom every food tastes like dust. And also because the snakes, their whole punishment came because of their words, because of what the original snake spoke to Chava in the Garden of Eden, in Gan Eden. And if the snakes were punished that way, they're very fitting to punish people who are speaking so wickedly and so ungratefully for this. And then the Jews realized they sinned, they turned to Misha. Moshe immediately didn't hold any grudge for all the bad words they had just poured on Moshe, Davis to Hashem. And Hashem said, make an image of a snake, put it on a banner, and then it was bitten, we'll look at this and live. As Rashi explains, not because this image of a snake is life, but when they looked up at the snake, they're looking upward to heaven. They're reminded of Hashem looking at the snake. They're thinking what happens to them. They're reminded of Hashem as they look upward and they're davening. They're doing tshuva. And then they will be forgiven. They will live. And Moshe specifically, the word here Hashem is using for a snake is a, the word here is for a snake that the Jews used is a nachash. Nachash, snake, has the same etymology of the word copper, nechoshe. Hashem didn't tell him to make a copper snake. He just said make a snake. But Moshe said, you know, in the holy tongue, all of the words for things res- reflect their spiritual truth, as we're actually joining today's tiny portion of the last few days. So a snake is nachash. Nachash is etymologically like the word nechoshe, copper. So obviously copper reflects the energy of the snake. So Moshe made a nachash nechoshe, a copper snake, put it on a banner high up that all the Jews who are bitten could look upward, see the snake, turn to Hashem, do tshuva, and be healed. So we just finished the situation with the snakes, the plague of the snakes, the cure of the snakes. The Jews travel on. They travel to Avos. And it says that they traveled from Avos and they camped in the wastelands, Avarim passages, the wasteland passages in the desert facing Mayav, east of the sun. Rashi says, Iye, the word E, the Shurish E, is something desolate, something swept away. Ha'evarim, these are the passages. Rashi, Rashi says, this is a passage for those that are crossing into the land of Canaan. And the Rashi says, those is a passage through crossing Mount Nevo, Har Nevo. So what Rashi is basically explaining is the Jews are now not at Har Nevo. The Jews are crossing the passages that then lead to Har Nevo, that then crossing Har Nevo, Har Nevo itself becomes the passage 
entering into the land of Canaan and also separating the land of Mayav from the land to the north of it, which is the Amoraim. In other words, right now, the Jews are to the east of Israel. They had to travel around the land of Edom, Esau, because he would not let them in. North of that is the land of Mayav, as Rashi will soon explain to us. They had to travel around the land of Mayav because they would also not let us in. We were not allowed to start up with them. And now, still east of Eretz Yisrael is the land of Amoiri, like Bichon Melchai wrote, the Moiri, and the land of Bashan, like Oig Melchabashan. These are two lands, Amoiri and then further north, Bashan, that are both east of the Yardim, but both are going to become part of Eretz Yisrael because the Jews are going to conquer them now. Alpnei Moiv mi Mizrach Hashemesh. Mi normally means from, which would mean Maya from the east. But that doesn't make any sense because the Jews are traveling from west to east. So Rashi says here the Mem means toward, toward the east. Which would mean, in other words, generically, east of this land. And then they kept traveling. They traveled in the Nachal Zared, the Valley of Zared. And then they kept traveling. And they traveled from opposite Arnoin, which is the Midbar, which is the northern boundary of Amairi. And Arnon, the Pasuk explains, is the boundary between Mayav and the Amairi. So Mayav, we said it was Edom that they traveled around, north of that Mayav that they traveled around. Now they're north of Mayav, right on the border between Mayav and Amairi. And as Rashi is going to explain, they really were already on the Amairi side of the border because Mayav wouldn't let us step foot there. So Migvul Amairi, Rashi explains Migvul means the edge of the boundary, meaning Migvul, you could mean you think they're inside the boundary or it could be the whole land, the Gvul, the whole land. But here it means literally the boundary itself because they literally were right at the edge, but on the Emoiri territory, because Maya wouldn't let us step on their territory. And this is what Rashi is explaining in the next Rashi, Me'ever Arnon, opposite Arnon, that they circled the whole southern and eastern territory of Maya until they got to the other side to Arnon, inside Emoiri territory, north of Maya. Hayyotse Migvul HaMairi, extending from the Amari boundary. The Rashi explains that there was a strip of land extending from the Amairi boundary, belonging to the Amairim, which means therefore the Jews could stand on that territory, inside the boundary of Mayav until Arnon. I mean, if you can envision the picture, you have the Mayavi territory and about a certain percentage of the way into the territory of Mayav is the Arnon River and Arnon, capital. And the Amoirim are north of it. But like the eastern half of Mayav, the northeastern corner of Mayav was captured by the Amoirim. So why is this significant to us? Because the Jews aren't going to step foot on Mayav. 
but they could be in this land now because the land doesn't belong to the Moyadim anymore. The Moyadim captured it. So therefore, Rashi is explaining when it says it extended from the Amiri border that we have this land, this strip of land, the northeastern corner of Mayav that had been conquered by the Amirim. And really, they extended all the way into Arnon. Arnon is the capital. But the Jews could be in Arnon, but not in the land of Mayav because that was already the... Well, Arnon was really like the borderlands. So they really couldn't be in Arnon. But they were right north of it and not in the land of Mayav because the Amorim captured it. So the Pasuk goes on to say, Ki Arnon Mayav. Arnon is the border of Mayav. And as we said, the Moabim did not let us go into their land, which isn't said very clearly in the Chumash, but later in the Navi it says, Moshe is alluding to it and says, well, the Moavim treated me like the Bnei Esav treated me. And we know the Bnei Esav, Edom, did not let us travel. And similarly, Moav also. Now, in Pasuk Yudalit, it says something very mysterious, very beautiful, as explained in Rashi. Therefore, it will be said in the book of the wars of Hashem, Esvahev basufa v'shanachalim arnon. Esvahev, he gave basufa, like the Yamsuf, and the valleys of Arnon. The Rashi says, Al Kenya Amar, concerning this will be told, concerning this camping, that something very special, very special miracle happened here. It'll be told the Sefer Muhammad Hashem in the Book of the Wars of Hashem. When it doesn't mean literally a book here, it means the telling. When the Jews will tell the miracles performed to our ancestors, we will talk about this miracle. As Vahev, the Rashi holds that no Hebrew words start with the Vav besides Vav, book, which looks like a Vav. And therefore, he transposes the Vav, and he said the Vav here is like a Yud, Yahev, which means to give. Saying Hashem gave us miracles. He gave us miracles by Sufa. He gave us miracles by the Yamsuf. Of course, we know the tremendous miracles of Kriyas Yamsuf. And he also gave us miracles in these valleys of Arnon. So the same way Rashi says in Vesnachalim Arnon, the same way we talk about the miracles of the Yamsuf, we should talk about the miracles of the Valley of Arnon. What were the miracles? The next Pasuk says, the Eshet Hanachalim and the spillage in the valleys, Asher Natal Ashevas Ar, when it turned to dwell at Ar, Nishan Legul Mayav, it leaned on the border of Mayav. So what is this spillage? What happened was, and I'll try to say this briefly because it's late, but it's a very fascinating concept. What happened is the Jews are traveling, crossing into now the Amori territory. They circled around Mayav, and now they're going into the Amori territory because Hashem never said we can't step on Amori land. Now the Amori and see were coming. I mean, they knew we were coming. And they had hatred of the Jews. So they thought when the Jews go through these passages, it'll be a perfect opportunity for us to kill them. Because the Jews, there's these, it's a very high cliff with a deep, narrow valley. So the Jews are going to pass through the valley, and we are going to be in the caves and the cliffs, and we'll kill them. We'll throw stones on them, we'll shoot arrows on them, and we'll kill them. That will be our Baruch to the Jews. Now, these caves were on the Moyav side of the mountain, and that's where the Amorim hid. 
right opposite, so close that Rashi says that a man could stand on one and talk to his friend on the other side. The valley was that narrow. There's the other side of the mountains. And the other side of the mountains have projections coming out of it. So we have on the southern side of the valley mountains with cavities, with caves. On the, that's on the Maya side of the mountains. On the Amari side of the mountains, we have the same mountains with projections. The projection could fit neatly into the cave, but of course there's this little narrow valley in between. And the Jews are going to walk through that valley, and this is when they are planning on slaughtering them. Before the Jews walk through, the mountains on the Amori side started trembling. They're like, oh, my mistress is coming, because even though Amori is on the other side of the Ardain, but eventually the land of the Amori Right? Those lands became part of Eretz Yisrael. We conquered them. So the Amiri land is already sort of feeling her mistress, her master is coming when the Jews are about to enter the valley. So they start trembling and reach forward as if to greet the Jewish people. When the projections from the mountains on the north side enter into the caves of the mountains across that little narrow valley on the south side, the projections squash all the Amari people that are inside ready to kill us. And then the mountains went back and the Jews passed through, innocently unaware of this tremendous miracle Hashem just made for them. So therefore, in the next postdoc it says, and from there to the well, and we're discussing this well. Why are we discussing the well? And we're now about to sing a shear to the well. So I suddenly the well. We've had this well for 40 years. Because Hashem now is going to use the well to inform the Jews of what happened. So Rashi, Misham Be'er, explains that Hashem says, I made such a tremendous name that my children aren't even aware of it. So what am I going to do? So after the mountains return to their place, the well went through these caves and brought down to the valley where the Jews are traveling all the blood, the arms, the limbs, and the Jews saw and they stopped what had happened. So now they're singing Shira. So really, of course, it's a Shira question for this tremendous miracle, but it becomes really the Shira becomes a Shira to the air, to the well, that informed them of the miracle. And really, at this point, let's acknowledge the well that's been with us for 40 years and is really special. We have Pasuk Yezayin, Yerchash, Yetas, and Chas, these four Pesukim, which is the rest of Shaykhitas, in which we praise the well. So in Pasuk Yezayin, we begin the Shira, Alid, the air, and Nula. Arise, well, sink to it. Arise, meaning arise from within the valley and lift up what you brought, all the limbs and body parts to let us know this. And Rashi explains, how, how does he know this? How do we know the well was the one that did this? Because why suddenly now are we singing Shira to this well? Obviously, we just had this whole miracle, and then suddenly we're singing Shira to the well. So the well is obviously this player in the miracle. The well didn't cause the miracle. Hashem obviously had the mountain with the projections penetrate the mountain with the caves. But the well informed us. The next passage says, the well dug by the princes, 
the nobles of the nation excavated it, the lawgiver with their staffs, and from the wilderness a gift. And Rashi says, what do we mean by the well white princes? Who are the princes? The princes are Moshe and Aharon. We're talking here with their Mish'anosam, with their Mata, they created this well. Umi Midbar, and from the desert, Nitnalahem, it was given to them as this gift. Meaning the Pasuk says, Umi Midbar Matana, we're not looking at Matana as like a name of the place, like from Midbar to Matana, but in the Midbar it was given to them this gift of the well. The next passage says, which seems to be saying places from Matana to Nachlil and from Nachlil to Bamos. And Rashi says, translate this as the Targum, as Onkelis translates it. And he's not translating it as names of places, but rather it's things. So Matana is the gift. The gift is the well. My Matana Nachlil, Onkelis says, Nachlil means it's a legacy. The gift became the legacy from the legacy to these high places. And the next Fasuk, and from the heights, the Bamos, to the guy, to the valley, as we were just explaining, right? Asher Vistay Mayav in the field of Mayav, Rishapiska at the top of the peak, Vinishkafal Pshanehei Shimon, overlooking the wastelands. So that was again the Be'er that went from the heights of those mountains down to the valley, showing us all those body parts. Why are we bringing in that it's in the fields of Mayav? Because that's where Maisha passed away, and when Maisha passed away, the well stopped. And as I mentioned before, that even though originally the well was in the Chos of Miriam, but it came back in the merit of Maisha and lasted until Maisha passed away, and then once he passed away, it stopped completely. So at this point, obviously, we're, we're going ahead because until now in the, in the Pesukim we were talking about the miracles that happened just now, and now we're jumping ahead until the very end of the well's relationship to us, which is the passing of Maisha when the well stops functioning. And then Rashi gives a different way of understanding this, and it says when we go back, going back three Pesukim, Karuha Nadive Ha'am, the nobles excavated her. Rashi says that means the Nisiyam of each tribe, because each tribe, once, where is this the heir, each, each Nazi took his mata, took his staff, and drew like a marking from the heir to his camp, and the well water followed that path made by his mark, and thus each David had their own piece of the well, so to speak, giving water to them individually. The Mechaykeh, the lawgiver, is Maisha, who's called the lawgiver. But that's the only, we see allusions to Maisha, but Maisha's name is not explicitly mentioned because he ultimately, of course, was punished and was not able to go into Eretz Yisrael because of the mice of the well that we've learned earlier. And Rashi says, if Maisha is not mentioned, Hashem's name is also not in the Shira because Hashem says, if he's not around, he's not invited, I'm not invited either. And then just the last three Rashis, Rosh Pisca, which Unclus translates as the top of the height. The Pisca is this high point. And Nishkafa Pneha Yeshimon, overlooking these wastelands, that peak we're talking about here, 
So this peak here is facing this point called Yeshima. Yeshima means a desolate place. We have this peak overlooking this desolate place called Yeshima. Or a, a drash on this, that the well is seen from the desolate place, meaning it says that after the well no longer gave water, he was hidden in the Sea of Tveria. It says if someone's standing on a desert place, meaning someone's standing above the sea, they can look down in the Sea of Tveria, and it says you can sort of see a sea in the sea, and that is the, the air, and that is today's Fumishkita.